0: To dedicate a whole task force of at least 80 employees to do nothing but communicate with social media sites and telling them uh, what stories to suppress, <laughs> who to ban—it's mm. a gross misuse of taxpayer dollars. It's a violation of the Constitution. Is it- you know, one way we could get the FBI in front of the committee really quickly is say we're not giving you a penny. Good idea. Defund the police, Congressman James Comer of Kentucky. Good thinking.
1: Well, I don't. Oh, uh,
0: 2023 is going to be I fun.
1: The i something right. what no, I am so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with
0: you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Groves, Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing, Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Before we ride off into the sunset for 2022, uh, we're going to be joined momentarily by the great Heather Digby Parton to get her thoughts on the finale hearing of the January 6th committee and their criminal referrals to the DOJ for Donald Trump for the crime of insurrection and more. And more and for a bit of a year-end wrap-up as we head out after today for a holiday hiatus with our own families and a little bit of R&R, which I'm pretty sure I can use. I don't know about you, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Well,
2: you know, it has been an interesting and very busy, busy year. But, hey, we made it through the 2022 election, so good job, everybody.
0: Almost made it through. We'll oh, see. There's still true. a few court cases uh, outstanding, but we will get to that. Uh, I suspect in the new year if they are still ongoing. And of course, Heather uh, Digby Barton has been with us for every single for analysis after every single January 6th committee hearing. So we uh, want to make sure that uh, that happens as well before we get out. <laughs> as you heard at the top of the show, however, there uh, a top Republican. In Congress, Congressman James Comer of Kentucky is now calling, apparently, for defunding the police. He wants to defund the FBI, apparently, because he, like so many others, uh, have fallen for this Donald Trump nonsense that the FBI was censoring Twitter before the 2020 election in order to rig the election for Joe Biden or something. It is all so much stuff and nonsense, and frankly, I can't see how any of this ends well for Republicans who are dumb enough to play along with it. But since I have begun to see folks on the theoretical left now falling for this Twitter, Trump, Elon Musk nonsense, before I get to Heather, let me clear up at least one point from all of this, lest you find yourself one of those folks on the left who I describe as the contrarian industrial complex, which seems to be easily duped enough these days to pretty much fall for all of the very same right-wing nonsense. Uh, To that end, I wanted to get uh, get to this on our previous show, but the January 6th committee sort of screwed up all of my plans. And we've got some new information on this story today as well. As Washington Post reported in an exclusive over the weekend, a confrontation between a member of Elon Musk's security team and an alleged stalker that Musk had blamed on a Twitter account that tracked his private jet, that confrontation Actually, as it turns out, took place at a gas station 26 miles from LA International Airport and 23 hours after the Elon Jet account had last located the jet's whereabouts. In other words, according to Drew Harwell and Taylor Lorenz of The Washington Post, both of whom were among those suspended by Elon Musk from Twitter recently, supposedly for tweeting out Musk's real-time location, well, Musk, uh, his claims appear to be complete and utter BS. There was no real-time tweeting of his location. This event that occurred that he blamed on this Elon jet account actually took, uh, took place 26 miles from the airport and 23 hours after that account had actually said where Musk's jet actually was. The timing and location of the confrontation, according to the Washington Post on Sunday, cast doubt on Musk's assertion that the account had posted real-time, quote, assassination coordinates, <laughs> as Trump called it, that had threatened his family and led to this confrontation. Uh, it was, the confrontation was cited by Musk as the reason for suspending a number of journalists who had simply reported on this story. Police have said little about the incident, but they said they've yet to find any link between the confrontation And the jet tracking Twitter account that, according to Washington Post, over the weekend. Now, in addition to suspending the Elon jet account, Musk, who used to describe himself as a, quote, free speech absolutist. Unquote. That was before he took over control of Twitter. Well, he also suspended accounts from journalists from the New York Times, CNN, other uh, news organizations who were simply covering the Elon Jet accounts suspension. Now, uh, it, uh, one of them, in fact, one of the banned, suspended journalists was Steve Herman. He's the Voice of America's chief national correspondent, a former White House bureau chief for them. He was live in studio here with me as my guest on this program just about two weeks ago. So after he was informed by Twitter of his supposedly permanent suspension from the uh, social media service, he told me that he was given, quote, no explanation by the company as to why he was suspended. He shared with me both his opaque notification from Twitter that he had been suspended for breaking the rules. They didn't tell him which rule he had broken. And he had shared a statement from Voice of America about all of this, demanding his reinstatement and an explanation for why they banned this decades-long, top-notch, well-respected, even-handed journalist, Steve Herman. Uh, According to the Post, that incident Uh, with the Elon Jet account, ended up triggering a major rewrite of Twitter's rules uh, and the suspension of the journalists, which was condemned by actual free speech advocates. It also underscored how Musk's personal concerns influence his governance of the social media platform, which is used by hundreds of millions of people around the world. Essentially, he bought it for $44 billion, and he can do any damn thing he wants with it. It's his uh, company. If he wants to ruin it, it's up to him. The paper goes on to note uh, what they were able to learn about the actual incident that took place. They spoke with most of the witnesses uh, and the person that Musk described as a stalker, as well as reviewing additional videos of the incident, which took place at a gas station in South Pasadena, nowhere near the airport and hours after Musk's private jet was reported to have landed initially by the uh, by that Twitter account in question. Now, uh, ended up uh, Twitter uh, two days later over the weekend, Musk ran a stroll, straw poll of whether those journalists should be reinstated. The users voted yes, they should. And uh, after his far right and, you know, sadly, too many far left Twitter minions had gone all in for him, he restored those journalists accounts. And by Sunday night, he was asking his Twitter followers in yet another poll whether he should step down as the head of Twitter, promising he would abide by the results of that poll. Well, the results of that poll are in and a huge majority of Twitter users want uh, wanted uh, Musk to step down by 15 points out of more than 17 and a half million votes that were cast. They want him gone. What that actually means and who will take his place. And if he'll actually leave, that's unknown, because as it turns out, he's kind of a liar. But uh, we will see. Since the poll, Musk has gone sort of uncharacteristically quiet since it ended. But in any event, today we've got still one more piece of news on all of this from The Guardian this time. They write uh, Twitter CEO Elon Musk tweeted last week that a, quote, crazy stalker followed uh, followed a car carrying one of his children in L.A. last Tuesday night, quote, thinking it was me and that stalker blocked the car from moving and climbed onto its hood. Well, now a new statement from the local police, according to The Guardian, provides the first official count of what happened. The South Pasadena Police Department has confirmed that an incident involving two vehicles was reported to the police, but they said that a member of Elon Musk's security team is currently a suspect in the investigation, not actually a victim.
2: Well, that's a switch.
0: 29 year old man from Connecticut told South Pasadena police Tuesday that a driver in another vehicle had confronted him in a parking lot, accused him of following him on the 110 freeway, and then struck the man with his vehicle as he was leaving the parking lot. So, who knows what actually went on in this incident? But suffice to say, it does not appear to be anything like what musk characterized it to be before he started banning journalists for something that had absolutely nothing to do with any of this they were simply reporting on what musk had said he was doing to this elon jet account and all of that you know before folks both on the right and in the left's contrarian industrial complex were just all too willing to sort of throw in with this Elon Musk just the way they threw in with Donald Trump, both of whom are incredible liars. So I guess these folks on the right and yes, some some on the left must like getting played by these liars at this point. I don't know. If time allows, we'll get Heather Digby Parton's thoughts on that story at year's end. And more importantly, I think, the January 6th committee's criminal referrals for Donald J. Trump and the madness we all get to look forward to in Congress as the 2023 session soon gets underway. Are you excited, Des?
2: Republicans taking over the House? Not really. Anyway,
0: that and uh, Desi Doyen's latest great news report—they are all ahead this hour on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial, or I will permanently suspend you—or something. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
1: Mr. Chairman, we understand the gravity of each and every referral we are making today, just as we understand the magnitude of the crime against democracy that we describe in our report. But we have gone where the facts and the law lead us and inescapably they lead us here. Accordingly, Mr. Chairman, in light of these facts, I ask unanimous consent that the chairman be directed to transmit to the United States Department of Justice relevant select committee records in furtherance of these criminal referrals.
0: Well, wow, the House was a rockin' over this, uh, well, actually over this past year as it went out with a bang, not a whimper at year's end, at least in the bipartisan. Uh, what do we call it? The Select Committee? The Bipartisan Select Committee. Yeah, something it's like that. It's got
2: the longest name in the it world. It does.
0: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. As we are clearly crawling over the finish line, uh, as detailed in our special coverage on our previous broadcast, the Bipartisan House Select Committee investigating the Trump-incited January 6, <laughs> 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. And the disgraced former president's multiple failed attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election from the American people. Well, they wrapped up their final public hearing with a unanimous nine to zero vote to send four criminal referrals for Donald Trump to the U.S. Department of Justice, including for obstruction of an official proceeding for blocking the peaceful transfer of power at the joint session of Congress on January 6th. Conspiracy to defraud the U.S. for his efforts to block Joe Biden's victory by lying about fraud to the American people, despite being told by all of his top White House legal advisors and his own DOJ that there was no evidence to support his false claims of election fraud. Conspiracy to make a false statement to Congress that for participating in the scheme to send phony certificates in support of fake electors on January 6th and insurrection for inciting, assisting or giving aid or comfort to those attempting to overthrow the United States government. Perhaps the most serious of the four charges, if only because it's so rarely enforced and would prevent Donald Trump from being eligible for future, future federal office, If, in fact, he is both indicted and convicted of that charge someday, all of that came just days, in case you already forgot, after his his own company was convicted on 17 criminal fraud charges in the state of New York, while he continues to be personally investigated on fraud charges in the Empire State, while also facing a 250 million dollar civil fraud suit there at the very same time he's also facing a criminal conspiracy investigation in the state of georgia for his attempt to defraud the 2020 election in the peach state not to mention the at least two federal investigations that appear to be picking up steam under the auspices of newly appointed special counsel jack smith at year's end of course The 2024 presidential election is coming in two short years, so we don't have time to list all of the civil lawsuits that the former president is facing right now, even as he recently declared himself to be a 2024 presidential candidate before capitalizing on his early declaration by sitting around and doing pretty much nothing but shouting in all caps on his dumb social media site, and selling poorly photoshopped NFT trading cards for his own personal enrichment. Yes, those, uh, by the way, were not even for his campaign coffers. They just that was just for him. Went straight into his pocket. Meanwhile, after picking up a seat in the U.S. Senate during the recent November midterm elections, a feat which never, at least since 1934, never happens for the party in control of the White House. Democrats gained a clear 51-49 majority in the U.S. Senate, only to see corrupt U.S. Senator Kirsten Sinema announce that she was leaving the Democratic Party to become a registered independent, even as she says she will continue to caucus with the Democrats, or at least as much as she ever did. At the same time, Republicans won back a majority in the U.S. House during these same midterms, if barely, with a slim enough margin and enough far-right magaloons in their caucus that it's currently unclear whether or not they'll even be able to select anybody as their House speaker next session, much less their supposed caucus leader, Kevin McCarthy, who thinks he will be elected as the new house speaker and of course as all of this plays out at year's end the now second richest man in the world elon musk seems intent on blowing up the social media world and becoming the nation's newest donald trump if measured only by the contest for who will become the globe's most obsessively egomaniacally, thin-skinned obnoxious right-wing liar On the Internet, as we praise our constitutional founders and their foresight in including Article two, Section one, the requirement that, quote, no person except a natural born citizen shall be eligible to the office of president, thus permanently disqualifying the South African born billionaire from going full Trump in this nation of now brain-poisoned, apparently easily duped wingnuts. All of that is just some of the fun we're all forced to endure at year's end as we trepidatiously, which may or may not be an actual word, await the turn of the clock to 2023. And as we traditionally do at such moments... We turn for wise counsel and sage insight to our longtime friend, Heather Digby Parton, the Hillman Prize award winning columnist at Salon and much beloved OG blogger known simply as Digby at her long running hullabaloo blog. Oh, Heather, welcome back as another winning year heads into the history books.
3: (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, a caller on our program, Heather, just after the January 6th committee held their finale hearing, uh, voting for those criminal referrals for uh, to the DOJ for Trump, for insurrection, etc., uh, had felt that all of that was was meaningless because nothing would ever actually happen to Trump because, as the caller characterized it, nothing ever happens to any of these people. He cited. Hillary Clinton, for some reason, who, as it turns out, didn't do anything to be thrown in jail for. And George W. Bush, who absolutely did uh, do something to be thrown in jail for, but was never held accountable for anything. So uh, I do understand the frustration and cynicism from folks. But with all of that in mind, Heather, A, am I wrong to think that things actually will work out differently this time, unless you know Donald Trump dies first. That there will be accountability for him, and B, if I turn out to be wrong on that, what would be the consequences in this nation of not bringing accountability for this guy?
2: Those are like two huge questions. Yeah, they no, are. I was I'll, just gonna say, I'll, wow.
0: I'll, I'll sit back. You take the rest of this. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'll just Heather. go on
3: for the next hour. You, do. you guys do go mind. ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, um, you know, as for the first question, whether mm-hmm. or not I think that anything's going to happen, I honestly don't know. I mean, it just seems, there's so much piling on to him. We did see, as you pointed out, um, one jury just return a guilty verdict mm-hmm. on all counts yep. on the Trump organization, and they got a, a plea deal from his CFO. So that's one thing that has happened now it doesn't add up to a lot of penalty for him mm-hmm. but you know it's still the the trump organization was just convicted of fraud
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yep.
3: so i mean that is that is something and and uh, you rattled off all these other legal you know problems that he's facing um, it seems unlikely that none of those are going to end up with some kind of sanction against donald trump mm-hmm. having said that the big ones that we're talking about—the big federal mm-hmm. cases, uh, particularly the, the Mar-a-Lago documents case and this January sixth case—which they're clearly um, already investigating in depth—it seems to have speeded up since they named the special counsel and mm-hmm. they're hauling in you know former White House counsels and what have you to grand juries. Um, those two big cases, I'm still not sure of. I don't know. I mean, I. I I, I think it could go either way, to be perfectly honest. I mean it's it's hard to make cases against people in these situations. It seems like the Mar-a-Lago case it should be a slam dunk. I mean the guy <laughs> had the documents, yeah. he found them there yeah. and he claimed he didn't and you know, I mean these are these are not that's not a difficult case to prove, but it may be that they think that it may not be worth it for some reason, you know, that, that perhaps su- this particular crime won't add up to mm-hmm. what the other big crimes might add up to, and they don't want to do it. I don't know. There's a lot that goes into those kind of decisions. Kind of, uh, but, you know, uh, decisions.
0: that cynicism, though, from that caller, I get it. I do understand that. Oh, me too.
3: That. I, I, I- we're protecting ourselves, Brad. I mean, you know, Maybe is, so. Yeah. We're all, we've all been through so much. I mean, you know, yeah. remember the whole thing—it's Mueller time, and mm-hmm. you know, we were waiting for you know, time and time again, we've been waiting for something. To just, and you look at Donald Trump's whole life. And he's been evading, you know, accountability from the very beginning mm-hmm. for anything he ever did, and he did a lot of things, and he's been getting away with it his whole life. And he's this is just sort of the story of him, I think, ultimately, when you get down to it, is that this has been a very lucky guy and a guy who just managed to squirm out of, of you know, his his problems time and time and time again with the help of some other rich people, including his father. But having said that, you know that yeah, I I get the cynicism. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel a lot of it myself, and I often say, you know, hey, I'm not putting any money on this because you know we've been here, and I'm not, <laughs> I don't know what will happen. But I do think, and this was something I've been I've been writing about recently, is that I I think that part of the reason why he has since he's been in political life that he's gotten away with things is that there's been this belief that somehow he was going to be held accountable by the people at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. And actually that happened. Right. He was held accountable. The problem is, as we all know, that there's this you know, there's this you know, spillover effect of everything that goes on with him to the, now that talk about cynical, look what he's done to the Republican Party mm-hmm. and the, the, the Republican voters who now believe that the, the entire system is rigged against them. You had the incoming um uh, chairman of the house oversight committee saying on television this week that um he you know that they're uh, that they want to defund the FBI i mean what yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. so you know this is what this is what that that belief that the people would hold him accountable which they did mm-hmm. and they did it in 2018 and 2020 and and frankly mm-hmm. they did it again in 2022 right has resulted in this in this other thing happening, this deep, deep kind of cynicism and conspiracy theories and all the rest of it that's happened on the right as a result of the kind of person that he is. So whatever reluctance these people had to holding him literally to account by the way any other citizen would be held to account... Looking back, I think, is a mistake, just as I think it was a mistake that they didn't, you know, that they didn't, uh, that they pardoned Richard Nixon. It was so- when you do this, the message that you send to people yeah. is it's more than just the accountability for the acts themselves. It's this whole cynical thing that takes place. And
0: we've sort of talked about that before, that, you know, sort of without uh, letting Richard Nixon off the hook the way they did, I don't know if you get to George W. Bush and then without letting George W. Bush off the hook, I don't know if you get to a Donald Trump. I shudder to think what will happen if Donald Trump is actually left off the hook here.
3: Exactly. Uh, uh,
0: You know, what what next at at that point?
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, full-blown you know, tyranny. I think. I uh, mean, you know, we're, yeah. we're that close to it anyway. And yeah, I'd like you to meet a guy named Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Seems to know exactly how he wants to go about doing that. I mean, this is just not. You know, the, the the idea that the people, yes, it's the ultimate power, right, to turn him out of office. But nobody anticipated that this guy was going to say, well, they should have because he in- indicated it back in 2016 that he would just simply say no. The people didn't. Turned me out of office. I didn't lose. It's all cheating, right. and they stole it from me. And and so that kind of accountability doesn't have, have the strength that it should have in a normal, healthy democracy. And so we're looking. You know, hopefully the the powers that be in the federal government, as well as you know, in every other place where this is, there are these legal issues that mm-hmm. are pending. Um, that. They they will realize this, that, you know, the, the idea of having this fallback, well, he's going to lose the election in 24 and then we'll be done with him, which is certainly what I think the Republicans are thinking, right? Mm. I mean, uh, it, uh, well, we don't want him to get the nomination, but if right. he gets it, well, you know, then, then that'll be that and we'll be done. Um, you know, I don't
2: that's just not
0: working yeah we, we i think uh they've made that mistake before <laughs> yeah. i yeah. seem to recall uh, be, before... but they certainly
2: do enjoy making money off of him yeah oh well, yeah well, that's sure. worked out very well for them
0: uh before they ride off into the sunset uh heather your your thoughts uh quickly on the uh the january 6 committees uh on their criminal referrals as they wrap up what i see at least as easily easily the best and most productive congressional committee that I have ever seen by far no contest in my lifetime.
3: Oh, totally agreed, and particularly when you see them in the in the context of our current political circus. You know, I mean, back. But you're 70s, right. It
0: is it is a pretty low bar. I do. Yeah, admit I mean, that,
3: but but, <laughs> but still, you know, I mean, you think back to the '70s when they had the Watergate, you know, committee hearings. I, yeah. I remember watching them. You know, I mean, they were very dramatic, and and the Iran Contra hearings were were very dramatic. But that was a different time. Mm-hmm. That was before you had Jim Jordan and you know people like Trey Gowdy. Uh, running the committees, mm-hmm. in which they turned it, com- you know, into a carnival act, uh, and and made everybody cynical about anything that was going on. Mm. These were sober, intelligent, well thought out presentations. I mean, we have met; <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we, the three of us, have been here together after every mm. one of the hearings <laughs> yep. throughout the year. Yep. And and each time, I think, we were, if you go back and look at what we're talking about, we were really very, very impressed with yep. the way that they put that, that whole thing together. And I think it made a difference. I know there were people going into the election in 2023 that thought, you know, well, you know, it was all a big waste of time, and there was a lot of naysaying against Democrats who were talking about democracy and, you know, the big themes that were emerging out of these out of these hearings, the threat that we were really facing to the very structure of our political system and I think I think they did a marvelous job and I think that uh, you know people were affected by it and maybe affected by it on- ongoing I mean I don't think the referral to the Department of Justice that they that they announced um Will make the will will be a determining factor for the Department of Justice. At least from what I understand, they don't do that. <laughs> you know, they're going to make the determination based on the evidence that they have. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the seriousness of that, the historic nature of it, and the fact that Donald Trump was referred um, by by a congressional committee that I think everyone agrees, except for the most far right wing nuts,
1: mm-hmm.
3: was a very sober and serious endeavor uh i think that will make a difference for 2024 too and- as as we're going through whether trump you know whether it's part of trump's fight for the nomination or if he wins the nomination if he's if he you know goes into the general and runs against the democrats um, I think that they've made a big difference. And just on a historical basis, there's just, I don't think there's well, ever been anything like it. Also, I mean, well, we've never had an insurrection like it. So. Well, exactly. True, and true. also,
0: you know, on a speaking of insurrection, I mean, I don't know, it, it won't be a determinative factor, as, as you note, uh, Heather, as far as whether they bring charges or not, but the fact that... You know, I I think there's a a school of thought that, well, you know, maybe they'll bring charges, but they'll go as easy as they possibly can. And when you have Congress now actually saying, we recommend that you charge him with insurrection, which is never charged, it's not a a determining factor, but... They will now at least have to look at the farthest reaching charges like insurrection and at least consider that where they might not have before knowing that, well, you know what, Congress has recommended it. And by the way, you know, incitement of insurrection was what his second impeachment was for when a majority of the U.S. Senate, a bipartisan majority of the U.S. Senate uh, was 5743 voted that, yes, he did incite an insurrection. So they've got Congress on their side. And, you know, maybe this will help them go as far as probably all three of us uh, think that they should go Uh, as to farther. And and we'll move off of Trump here in a second. But as to, you know, whether these uh, further and worsening legal problems will actually help Trump. I've heard this a lot in, in a few recent days. I read uh, one of your pieces over at Mm -hmm. Salon this week that it seems like you seem to agree, actually, with Donald Trump himself. He wrote on uh, social media in response to the January 6th committee, uh, quote, These folks don't get it when they come after me. People who love freedom rally around me. It strengthens me. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I think that might have been true at one time. I don't really know if that's true anymore, Heather.
3: I don't know if it's true anymore either, but it certainly has been true. And and I have said that for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. every time you go after, you know, it's the old saying, you know, if you're going to go after the king, you, yep. you, know, you, you better, better be not miss, him. right? Yeah, exactly. um, because it does make, th- make him stronger, and it has made him stronger in the past. He's at his weakest point right now that he's been in since we saw him come down the escalator mm-hmm. in 2015. Um, this 2022 election uh, really shook his his hold i think mm-hmm. on the republican party not because of any of the horrors and and crimes that he's committed of mm-hmm. course of course not but simply because he's he lost and that's when you know they can they'll put up with anything except mm-hmm. for that
2: right.
3: uh, obviously so so he is at a weak point but i do believe and and i do think that that has been a dynamic that's worked for him up until now and and it's 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 in, it'll be interesting to see whether or not that that continues. I have a sneaking suspicion that that what will end up happening is that his base will shrink mm-hmm. to a specific, you know, sort of a, a lower number than it's been.
0: Until we can drown it in the bathtub?
3: Uh, oh, I, I wish we could, okay. but it, it, it'll it okay. be <laughs> tens of millions of people, unfortunately. I see. That's a big job. Yeah. yeah, it's a big job. <laughs> and, and what will end up happening, though, is that that, that base... Will continue to wield outsized power within the Republican Party, whether a majority of Republicans like it or not. And I don't, you know, look. Donald Trump is a guy; he's not that is not going to just go. Well, you know, I understand the people have spoken. (laughs) You know, it's time for me to move on, and I want to throw my support behind my good friend Ron DeSantis Uh or whatever. Uh huh. That's not going to happen. So the battle that we are about to see. And, and the, the persecution complex that he has, and by the way, that same persecution complex is very much the dynamic that that, that energizes the Republican base with or without Trump, right? That's mm. why they see him as their Jesus. He's being persecuted mm. on their behalf because of all the, you know, the hatred that they have to endure. Um, and so, I you know, I don't. I I, I do believe that these that all of these things will strengthen him with that core base Mm. but I also think that it's highly likely that base is shrink well we know it's shrinking And that it's going to hit a certain number here where it's, you know, that solid base will be much smaller than what it has been up to now. But it still has veto power. I mean, it's an amazingly powerful group.
0: Which actually uh, smartly segues uh, to my next thought on uh, looking forward now a little bit to Congress in, uh, in 2023. Speaking of a, a shrinking base, but a louder and in in one sense more powerful uh, one, uh, Kevin McCarthy is hoping to become House Speaker in January. So I'm uh, speaking with Heather Digby Parton. Heather, uh, will he be able to? Okay, again, a, a multi part question: A, will he be able to pull it off? <laughs> B, will House Republicans be able to elect anyone as Speaker in January if Kevin McCarthy can't pull it off? And well, I guess three. <laughs> do you have enough popcorn on hand in your house to watch all of this play out <laughs> over the next few
3: weeks? I do not. I've ordered some more. <laughs> good, believe good, me, good. I'm laying in a supply. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I hate to, you know, Schadenfreude. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Careful. <laughs> <a> Careful. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, Kevin is is in is in big trouble, and and it's kind of surprises me to tell you the truth because I thought he'd sort of laid the groundwork. We've been here before with this guy, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he was supposed to come in. And what was it, 2015? Uh, he was, or 2014. He was going to be the new speaker after John Boehner right. was was kicked out, mm-hmm. largely by the Freedom Caucus and the right wingers in the caucus at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and he was set up, and then he went and shot his mouth off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, and he is a very loose-lipped, sink-ship kind of guy, right? Uh-huh. I mean, he said a lot of things he shouldn't have said to the, to you know. To the media Mm -hmm. over the years, and he lost his chance then. And he sort of—I thought he had regrouped and figured out what to do to make sure that didn't happen. And much of the same dynamic is happening now. John Boehner was under, you know, under pressure from his right, and that's what's happening. And actually, John Boehner actually had a right. I don't know whether there's anything but right Mm. in the Republican caucus, maybe two or three guys that were just elected from New York. But other than that, it's a right-wing party all the way. But they do have some far-right extremists that are really flexing their muscles. And he's got a very, very small majority, which is what he wasn't. He was not counting on that. They thought they were going to have a big win. Well, his
0: majority, his small majority... Oh, oh! you mean the small majority for the Republican Party over the Democrats. For the Republican gotcha. Party,
2: yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. He's got, what has he got? He's got five seats, I think. You right. Yeah, know and, that's, and that's a few enough seats that the far-right extremists now they have, control him. They, they have control
3: him. him. And he's making deals left and right, and I don't. I can't even imagine what um, the deal he made with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't even want to know. I mean, it's got to be... He must have sold... <laughs> he sold literally soul. sold his soul. Well, you her. know, you
0: wrote about her and described her as, quote immensely influential yes. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, which kind of ran a shudder down my spine. Exactly. What kind of world do we live in? Marjorie I Taylor she, Green, I've
3: been calling her the shadow speaker. In fact, I think I said that on oh this show, my the show. Oh,
0: God. First
3: time, that she has tremendous power, and she's showing it. In fact, now she's fighting with Lauren Boebert uh, because Boebert is going against McCarthy, so she's going mano a mano with her little friend, Lauren, and I mean, that, give me some more popcorn.
0: There is not enough popcorn. Yeah, Yeah. some tequila
3: on on that, you know, for me, but I mean, this, I think that, you know, this is going to be very interesting, and your question as to whether anybody can win it, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, rarely have we been in the situation where that might actually be up for grabs, but it is. Yeah. Because if they hold tough and they're just that crazy that they might, yeah. you know, that they might just go, hey, we don't care, to hell with it, yeah. right? Um, then you're in a situation where nobody can be elected as the uh, as a Speaker. Now, there is, and I wrote about this last week, too, that the, the dark horse here, which nobody wants to talk about, is Steve Scalise, who's mm. McCarthy's uh, second-in-command. And when they voted for Majority Leader and, you know, and Majority Whip and what they, you know, the, the leadership post mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago, Scalise got 100%. McCarthy got, had 38 defectors, mm-hmm. <laughs> which tells you something, right? Ah.
1: Mm. So
3: um, the, I think that what most people are thinking is that if somehow McCarthy really does flame out here, and it, you know, I think the, the smart money still is on him pulling it off, just selling himself, mm-hmm you know, completely out to the right wing in order to get this to work. And that means giving them the power to usurp him at any moment, which is what the big fight is about, whether or not they can do this... uh Vacate the the chair or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like yeah. a
2: snap confidence vote. Yeah, just uh, like a snap Fire him immediately if they don't like it. Exactly,
3: yeah. and you know, you know, Marge, you know, she cracks the whip, so <laughs> you know, this could be this could be really ugly,
2: uh-huh. um, and
3: and a number of other things. You know, committee, you know, members, and of course, they what they want the, him to do is to completely allow them. To run their you know hunter Biden, you know nude pictures, extravagant but, but will any
0: if they're able to pull that off, Heather, will any of that actually be any good for them? It may be no. good for us for popcorn, but I mean, will any of that actually help them in advance of twenty twenty four?
3: No, I mean, Kevin McCarthy may be a bit of a dim bulb, but he knows that. that This (laughs) isn't good for them. That this is, you know, is is that what, well, and I just told you just earlier about this guy. His name is Comer, Representative Comer, Mm -hmm. who will be the new head of the House Oversight Committee. Um, mm-hmm. just said, you know, we want to defund the FBI. That's the kind of stuff Kevin McCarthy knows probably isn't a winner
1: De- <laughs> of, you mean a, defund- of a policy,
3: but somehow, but, you know, there's nothing he can do about it because these people are all running the show. So the inmates have, you know, literally taken over the asylum, and we don't know what will happen. Now, I don't think Steve Scalise or anyone, there's one other person that they, I can't remember who it was, um, but there's another person that's sort of been a, another dark horse. People mm-hmm. think, well, maybe he could step in like Paul Ryan did, you know? Well, it didn't work out for Paul Ryan either. Right? Uh, he got, you know, he was <laughs> he got th- drummed
2: th- out. Yeah, he got
3: drummed out too, and he just said, thanks, bye. You know, it's been great. He, I got my tax cuts. I'm gone.
2: Yeah, right. Um,
3: you know, the but they, you know, these. There, there is no winning on this. You know, I mean, I don't even know why McCarthy wants the job. To be honest, it just seems crazy to me. No. Um, but you know, I think, I think that there is a possibility that it, if Scalise or something like that doesn't work out, if Kevin can't do it, that we are stuck in a situation where somebody's got to have to get some Democratic votes to win. And, and that this could be so fascinating. It could be the best cuz that's the that's the real that's the scenario that Kevin McCarthy is whispering in everybody's ear is the is the dark possibility here if he doesn't get what he wants, which is that, you know, this is a 5 vote margin that the yep. Republicans have. The Democrats are going to put up Hakeem Jeffries for speaker. All it would take it's five Democrats to vote for, five Republicans yeah. to vote for Hakeem Jeffries, oh. and he's the Speaker of the House.
0: I could this not. This is
3: not a partisan thing, right? This is just the full House vote. So. Right.
0: I can't, I, of course, I can't even imagine such a thing. But no, I me mean, neither. But- who knows? I mean, there doesn't seem to be any actual, you know, you look at Plan A, Plan B, Plan C. None of them look great on the Republican side. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we could get to, you know, plan D, E, or F at this point. Speaking of that de- uh, Democratic side, and I've just got a minute here uh, because I also want to uh, try to fit in a quick question on Elon Musk. Sorry in advance. Um, the On the Democratic side of the aisle, any early thoughts on that new leadership team headed up by Hakeem Jeffrey as Pelosi heads for the history books, uh, but she'll still be sort of hanging around uh, as a regular old member, presumably, through uh, 2023 and 2024. You got any confidence in in Hakeem Jeffries moving forward?
3: Well, I don't know. I know he's been, uh, you know, speaker and waiting for quite some time. So presumably he's been watching and learning, uh, you know, one hopes. I mean, this leadership team, I was shocked that there wasn't, you know, a bigger fight (laughs) <laughs> to tell you the truth, you mean to stay oh.
0: for, to stay on board, or oh To who well, would be the yeah, new leadership? for the
3: for the leadership. Right. I, I mean, I just thought there would be, you know, some. I, I am, you know, Nancy Pelosi continues to astonish me because basically this was the leadership team that she anointed mm-hmm. and said, "Here are my, you know, this is my heir. To this, these are the heirs to the throne." And I thought, well, no, that's not going to happen. There's going to be a big fight. There's a bunch of people who are, you know, waiting in Hakeem Jeffries. You know, it, he, I don't know that much about him, to be honest. I mm-hmm. mean, other than what I what I read, and I guess he's got some skills. And we've talked about this before, that speakers' skills are not necessarily ideological. They're about mm. trying to wrangle a, a diverse coalition.
0: Organizational more yes, than ideological. And yes, yeah.
3: and, you know, I don't know if you watched the Nancy Pelosi um, documentary on HBO. Not
0: yet. Here, I hear it's good.
3: It is good, and it just shows that you know the, the kind of organizational skill that she has mm-hmm. in getting people to, you know, bringing getting the votes mm-hmm. is basically what it is. It's about getting the votes. So maybe he's really good at that. I don't know, but you know, we'll have to see what goes what goes with that. I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm not. Uh, I,
0: I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. either. Well. It's it's going to be very interesting. And of course, it is going to have to do with, you know, how things go on the other side of the aisle. So exactly. we'll watch that play out. Uh, finally, uh, you know, I suspect uh, like me and everyone else, you, you may be simply agog in okay. watching this implosion. By Elon Musk playing out in real time on Twitter. I note that you have signed up for an account at the competing social media service Mastodon, as both Desi and I have. And as everything seems to be falling apart uh, on the once beloved Twitter, and I'm old enough to remember when it actually was beloved and important. So... Will uh, Musk uh, really step down here as head of Twitter? But more importantly, uh, you know, a huge majority of users voted for him to do that in this recent dumb poll. But more importantly, if he does, will that be better or worse for Twitter and, and those of us who are still enduring it at this point?
3: I don't see how it could be worse, um, you know. I mean, I think he's taken a wrecking ball to the place. It's absolutely, I mean, it's still functional, and and I still go there, and you mm-hmm. know, and I'm I'm still using it to mm-hmm. some degree, although I'm transitioning to Mastodon. I have an account on Post too, you know, and mm-hmm. just ch- trying out the alternatives. But you know, it it has been very important. I mean, and not just to people like us here in America doing our political thing. I mean, it's been important to people around the world. Yep. I mean, they've been organizing. You know, protests and movements, and I mean, this is this is too important to be in the hands of some ridiculous, you know, I don't know, man, baby, what, what is he? I mean, <laughs> is he some kind yeah. of you know libertarian princeling? I mean, I don't even get you yeah. know what the, what this guy is other than he's a thin-skinned, um, petulant little boy mm-hmm. who has. He took some criticism from the left, and so he's joined this cadre of p- others who used to consider themselves of the left mm-hmm. uh, as uh, who are now contrarians. Mm-hmm. And he's just listening to that side of it that the left is the, the greatest evil in the world and must be stopped. And so, basically, he is objectively pro-fascist, as far as I can tell. Um, and and it's a very very disturbing. Phenomenon in social media, which is you know important. I mean, you know, I, I listen to this stuff by you know observers like Kara Swisher, who's an expert and all that stuff. And they're all they're kind of you know shrugging their shoulders, going, "No big deal. It's just another platform." But you know, mm. I don't really think it is just another platform. And I think it's a, I think it's been an important platform and one that has had. Great meaning and and efficacy and utility in, in our politics and i and it took a long time to get it to the point where it was functional that way. And and now it's just all of that has just been cratered. We've got Nazis all over our comments. You know, I mean that's just what's
0: happened. Nazis all over our comments as the uh, year twenty twenty two wraps up. <laughs> thank you very much. And and actually, uh, you have been of great utility to this program, Heather Digby Parton. I want to thank you at year's end for all of. Uh, your support and always being on standby uh, uh, often at a moment's notice when the (laughs) House calls one of these hearings or anything else. Of course. Uh, Mm. Thank you so much for your contribution throughout the year, and I hope you don't mind if we use and abuse that uh, same kindness in 2023. Heather Digby-Pardon of Salon. You can find her work at salon.com of course at digbysblog.net You can find her still on the Twitters at digby56 and if I have this correct, you are simply Digby over at Mastodon, correct?
3: It's Mastodon.social is my, is my handle, just Digby.
0: Good luck yeah. finding her there. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Uh, just, good luck
0: to all yeah. of us oh, finding anyone right. on that. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for everything. Uh, Heather, have a, a warm, safe, healthy, and uh, especially healthy holiday uh, season, and we will talk to you in the new year.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank Happy you. New Year.
0: Thank you. All right, quick break, and we're back with our final Green News report Yay. of the year with Desi Doyle, and that's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Well, Desi Doyne, it's the holiday season, our last Green News Report of the year. Yes. I'm sure it's another one of your giddy, happy, mm. bright holiday songs.
2: Look, I don't make the news, I just report on it.
0: As she does on our latest Green
2: News Report.
1: it. Close to 15 million children affected
2: at this point, and that's over 30 million people. Worst drought on record threatens famine in the Horn of Africa. We have decided to turn our back on Russian fossil fuels and to diversify towards reliable energy partners. Europe signed green electricity deal with Azerbaijan. Plus... This summit
3: in montreal was seen as a make or break time
2: nations strike historic deal to halt loss of nature worldwide all of those happy holidays stories and more
0: straight ahead from BradBlog.com. i'm brad friedman
2: and i'm desi doyan
0: stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment
3: i, I don't i'm not one that, that buys the, yeah. the climate change um uh, there are those of us that don't buy it.
0: Well, that's okay, Texas State Senator Brian Hughes. We know you're already bought and sold by big fossil fuel. This is your Green News Report. I'm
1: gonna soak up the sun.
0: Gonna okay, Dizzy Doyen, it's the holidays, so as grim as the Green News Report may get here today, hopefully we end on an up note?
2: Yes, please continue to listen. The good news comes soon. (laughs) We'll see. But first the bad news. Relentless severe drought is threatening famine in the Horn of Africa. A new NASA analysis finds that the region is experiencing its longest and most severe drought ever recorded in 70 years of record keeping that has decimated crops and livestock. The United Nations is calling for a surge of international aid warning that millions are facing an acute and deteriorating food security crisis in Somalia, Kenya, and Ethiopia, driven by high food prices caused by Russia's war on Ukraine, internal political strife, and the record-shattering drought intensified by man-made global warming. Here's Rania Dagesh-Kamara, UNICEF's Deputy Regional Director for Eastern and Southern Africa, in an interview with NPR. It looks different to most crises that I've seen in the last um, 22 years in the region. It is the front lines of climate change. It is five failed rain seasons, which we've never seen in this part of the world. And a potential sixth one actually likely to fail. Here in the U.S., although far less severe, persistent drought is also a growing problem. In Kansas, a major shift in state policy. For the first time ever, the Kansas Water Authority State Board voted to officially end the state's policy of planned depletion of groundwater from the vital, rapidly declining Ogallala Aquifer as, quote, no longer in the best interest of the state. Wow. In Kansas? Yes. In California, the Metropolitan Water District has declared a drought emergency for all of Southern California, clearing the way for potential mandatory water restrictions early next year that could impact 20 million people. At the same time, federal and state water managers are negotiating a new deal to manage declining water flows on the over-allocated Colorado River, which is triggered by more than 20 years of drought in the western U.S. But some good news, the European Union brokered a major deal to construct a massive undersea cable to deliver renewable electricity from Azerbaijan's offshore wind farms to Hungary, Romania, and Georgia to help them break free of heavy dependence on Russian oil and natural gas. So there's that. The irony of Russian President Putin's war on Ukraine is it has accelerated the world's transition to renewables. Irony plus death
0: equals Russia.
2: In other news, Tokyo, Japan mandated that all new houses and large developments must include solar panels beginning in 2025. Well, that's good. To cut household carbon emissions. G7 countries agreed to provide Vietnam with $15 billion to help it more quickly move from coal-fired power to cheaper renewable electricity. Also good. In a separate deal, Germany will deliver $118 million in funding to Kenya to help it reach 100% renewable energy and produce renewable hydrogen. Well,
0: there's the old holiday spirit.
2: Finally, historic good news. At the UN Biodiversity Summit in Montreal, nearly 200 nations reached a landmark deal to serve the planet's biodiversity and ecosystem services and begin to halt Earth's sixth major mass extinction, now being driven by human activity. But the United States is not a party to the agreement. The deal sets a target of conserving and restoring at least 30 percent of the Earth's land and water by 2030, protecting vital ecosystems and protecting the rights of indigenous peoples. It also includes a key provision to end harmful government subsidies for extraction industries like fossil fuels. Fuels. And in a major breakthrough, rich nations finally committed to paying developing nations an estimated $30 billion a year by 2030 via a new biodiversity fund to protect what remains of nature. Well,
0: there you go. You finally got to some good-ish news. What were we waiting for? Christmas? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons at Green News Report. We're standing down for a bit of a holiday hiatus. We hope you have a warm, safe, and healthy holiday. We'll see you after the new year. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Jesse Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Icicles on each drop, some tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me. Well, it'll be a green Christmas for some folks out here in L.A. I think the rest of the nation will be freezing cold, but... Anyway, uh, as you heard the man say there, we will be taking (laughs) off for for a little bit here until after the new year. I just kind of want to thank everyone for your support over this past year. Yes. Listeners, affiliates, and in particular, supporters of this program. We could not do any of it without you. So thank you for everything. Thanks also to my guest today, Salon's Heather Digby-Parton, to our wonderful producer, Desi Doyen, (laughs) and uh, to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Yes, thank you. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or anything else we've done this year or any year prior, you can download them all for free at bradblog.com. And in case I check my email while I'm gone, you can email me at Iambradcast at bradblog.com. And I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons at the Brad Blog. Find me there until you find me here. Next time in 2023, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Red nose on the reindeer, tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me.